the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. It is great to be with you today on this fine afternoon here in Southern California. It's always great to be with you. And this time that we have together where we can come together as people who are all throughout the Southland and even in different places, as you're listening on all of your devices across the country, across the world, maybe. We like to be with each other and encourage each other and be a place for hope. And I don't know, you probably know somebody, and I've known people who have been so far from the Lord, you just think there's no way that they're ever going to come to Christ. And we always encourage you to keep praying. As a pastor, I've seen people, and I've prayed with parents, I've prayed with siblings, I've prayed with kids, praying for their parents who have thought that, hey, there's, there's just somebody and they're just never going to come to Christ, and then they, they do. We should never think that somebody is too far away from the salvation that Jesus gives us by dying for our sins. He died for us. We have a special guest with us who has written a book that I think will be very helpful about this. It's also a, a fantastic book, an interesting book. My guest is Pastor Greg Laurie, the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California and author of more than 70 books, including his new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. And, uh, for over 30 years, he's been also leading the Harvest Crusades, large-scale large evangelistic event that is here in Southern California and cities elsewhere. Uh, Pastor Greg, welcome to Southern California Live. How are you today? Hey, Scott. I'm glad to be with you, and things are going great. Thanks for having me on. That's great. You know, not to put a date on us, but I used to go to your <laughs> church when I was in college in, at UC Riverside sometime in the last century. Uh, how long have you been in ministry now? Wow, you just made me feel old. <laughs> I have people come up to me all the time. They're like older people. Oh, yes, you dedicated me as a baby. I'm thinking, whoa, what? Right. Yeah, I've been doing this for 50 years. So that 50 years. explains everything, Scott. That's why uh, we see the young people who all grow up to be older people, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. I remember when I was a kid, I would look at older people and I would think, where do all these old people come from anyway? Then one day you wake up and look in the mirror and you go, uh-oh, I'm one of them now. So, yeah, I, yes, guilty yeah, as charged. It's a horrible moment. I have been forbidding my kids to get older, <laughs> and my oldest, James, just turned 13 against my wishes. Yes. Uh, so that happens. Well, uh, thanks for being with us. And it's um, a wonderful thing that the Lord has been using you as an evangelist to share the faith for over 50 years. And we're here to talk about your book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. You know, we're talking about these mu musicians, the you know very famous and influential musicians, Bob Dylan, John Lennon, Alice Cooper. And in your book, you talk about several other icons of rock and roll music. Why write a Christian book about these rock and roll icons? Yeah, great question. Well, it, it's about their spiritual journeys. And here's the big message of the book. No one is beyond the reach of God. 
So just for a moment, think about someone that you know that you cannot imagine ever becoming a Christian. They're so far gone. They're so antagonistic. They're so argumentative. Or maybe they're super successful, and they have everything that people dream of. And you think, oh, that person, they'd never be interested in hearing about Jesus. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. Everybody is lonely. Everybody is empty. Everyone is searching. Now, Rock stars are a different breed altogether. These are mm-hmm. talented people. Uh, these are people that breathe a rarefied air. Not everybody can do what they do. Often these are broken people who came from broken homes. Sometimes their creativity was a coping mechanism they developed uh, because of the horrible upbringing they had. And some of these folks found fame and success at a very early age, uh, and they capitulated to all of the enticements and things this world offers. And here's where the amazing stories are, because God got hold of some of them and turned their lives around. And there are some really surprising stories in this book. It's not like a a book glorifying rock and roll. You know, my... Sometimes people say, why do you write a book with John Lennon on the cover? He wasn't a Christian, and my response is, don't judge a book by its cover, right? Right. Mm. Read the book. Read the chapter I wrote on Lennon. Read the chapter I wrote on Bob Dylan. We did a lot of deep research into their lives, and there's some surprises in the life of John Lennon in his spiritual journey. Yes, Yes, he was quoted as saying the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, but that's not the only thing he said about Jesus. Yeah, there was a time where he uh, professed uh, faith in Jesus, at least for a while. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, there was a period in his life where he—there's different versions of the story. One is he watched Billy Graham on television— and prayed and asked Christ to come into his life. Another version is he watched a movie about Jesus on the 700 Club and prayed and accepted Christ. But clearly something happened to Lennon because he had a diary that he kept. He kept a very exact diary every day, and there are many, many passages in it where he talks about his new faith in Christ. Now, unfortunately for John, it was short-lived. Mm-hmm. But uh, the seed was sown. And, you know, the way I look at it, Scott, is everyone is a work in progress. We shouldn't be so quick to judge where a person is at. Now, John, of course, did make that statement about the Beatles being more popular than Jesus, and he wrote the song Imagine, which is certainly not a song that is coming from a biblical worldview. But he changed in his later years, and he began to soften. And so here's my concept on John, or what I was really trying to say. Look, He was tragically gunned down in front of the Dakota apartment building where he lived with his wife, Yoko, and his son, Sean. And after he was shot, he was put into a police car, and he was being driven to the hospital. And the officer said to him, do you know who you are? And John said, yes, I'm John Lennon. So what I propose is, did John Lennon, in the last moments of his life, call out again to Jesus Christ, who he claimed had changed his life? Could he have done that? Of course he could have. And if he had done that, would God have heard his prayer and welcomed him into heaven? Well, of course. Think about the story of the thief on the cross, Mm -hmm. who in the last moments of his life said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm not saying John died as a Christian and is in heaven. I'm saying 
We don't know what happened in the final moments of his life, but he did make a profession of faith. I opened the book with this statement. There'll be three surprises when we get to heaven. Number one, some of the people we thought would be there won't be there. Number two, some of the people we never thought would be there will be there. Number three, will be there. I mean right. that sort of humorously. Yeah. So the point is, I think there'll be surprises in heaven. So we shouldn't be so quick to write people off, and we should continue to pray for them. And there's so much hope in these stories when you think about it. You know, you write about these musicians. Have you always been interested in, in music in particular? Yeah, I, I opened the book with the statement uh, to quote the great theologian Joan Jett, I love rock and roll. That was meant as a joke. Some people don't have a sense of humor, yeah, and they don't understand what what I'm going to do with this book. But uh, I've always loved pop culture. I've always loved rock music. I was introduced to it, along with millions of other people in America, when I first heard the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. And I'm sitting in my office right now, Scott, and over my desk is a big photograph of the Beatles that my son Christopher gave to me, mm. uh, some surfboards hanging on the wall, a, a bicycle like the one I rode when I was a little kid, some electric guitars hanging up, and, and other things that are just part of my childhood and my life that I like. And then there's a library with uh, all of my commentaries and such. And this office sort of sums up my life, a bit eclectic, <laughs> uh-huh. a bit unpredictable. But, you know, I'm not just a pastor, Scott. I'm, a, I'm an evangelist. And yes. an evangelist builds bridges. We look for ways to reach our culture. And I take the stories of some of these rock stars and how they came to Christ and use it as a bridge or use their testimony as a way to say, you can come to Christ. In fact, at the end of the book, I present the gospel, and I even have a prayer that a person could pray to ask Jesus to come into their life. I I think it's uh, it's great to hear that, too, about your office and just how God has used every part of your life, this interest and your gift of evangelism to write this book that I know is going to impact people. And we we live in a, a time when we have a, it's just that maybe it's always been part of the human condition, but such a fascination with being famous and a desire for yeah. that as if it's the ultimate goal. But as you point out, it comes with very significant burdens and pressures, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does. In fact, we're making a film right now. I'm calling it an evangelistic documentary, and it's called Fame. And I interview Alice Cooper, Daryl Strawberry, and others, and sort of drill down into that whole concept of being rich and famous. Is it all that it's cracked up to be? A poll was taken among Gen Z kids, and they were asked what they wanted more than anything else. And their answer was to be rich and famous. But is that really what we want? You know, actor Jim Carrey once said, quote, I wish everyone could be rich and famous and get everything they ever wanted and then realize that it's not what they thought it would be, end quote. And, you know, this is pretty much like a modern version of what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, you know, I chased after all these things and I found they were emptiness and there was nothing new under the sun. Because, you see, when you're climbing up the mountain 
and you finally get there and find out there's nothing there, that's why these people plummet into these lifestyles, like excessive drug use, because they can't get the high they initially got when they had the first hit record, or when they first filled a stadium, or when people were chanting their name, or when they bought their first Rolls Royce, or whatever it is. And so they spend the rest of their life chasing after an illusion. And so what I'm pointing out is this is not the answer. I I think what people really want, Scott, is to be noticed. They they want to be loved. They want their lives to have significance. And, And that's why people are on social media doing things maybe that are just a cry for attention, like notice me, care about me. Um, and God loves us, and God has a plan for our life, and and He wants us to come into a relationship with Him. I think what everyone is searching for deep down inside is a relationship with the Lord. The Bible says He has set eternity in our heart. That's unique to humanity. And yeah. we're searching for something more. And in fact, we're searching for someone more, and that someone is Jesus. Yeah. You know, I, I like to say that for many people, the worst thing that happens to them is the spotlight. Uh, the thing yeah. that everybody is. And when you research this book, why do you think so many rock stars ultimately self-destruct? Is it just because they they realize that what they're looking for isn't there? Yes, I would say that. I would say that they, they want to maintain the high. You know, there's a, mm-hmm. a woman who wrote a book. She's a psychologist, and it's called Hitting the High Note. And she talks about Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, uh, who both died at the age of 50. And she said they were wanting to hit the high note again. She didn't mean literally the high note, as in a song, but that high note that they hit maybe earlier in their careers that they could not replicate later in life. And so then they become depressed, they become despondent, uh, and they start making a lot of bad decisions. But God can still intervene. I take the story of Alice Cooper. Uh, who I've gotten to know. You know, Alice at one point was the number one rock star in all of the world. And he had it all. You know, he was kind of the first rock act to fill the stadiums. And so he was doing a whole new kind of thing and, and was experiencing all the fame that one could want. And then he began to delve into drugs and he, his family was unraveling. His wife left him and he told me the story of how he had a rock of cocaine the size of a softball that he was snorting. And all of a sudden, he says he looked into a mirror and saw blood coming out of his eyes. He said to me, I don't know if that was a hallucination or what was actually happen, <laughs> happening, but I knew one thing. I was going to die. And so Alice called out to God. Now, Alice Cooper, real name Vincent Fernier, was raised in a Christian home. His grandfather was an evangelist. His father was a part-time pastor. And Alice knew what was true, but he had been running from it. He was, uh, using his own words, the prodigal son. So he called out to the Lord. God delivered him from his addiction and restored his marriage and literally restored his life. And so it just reminds us that no one is beyond the reach of God. Yes. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, and my guest is Pastor Greg Laurie. We're talking about his new book called Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. Um, Pastor Greg, when you take a look at your your book, it's very balanced with different artists who who flamed out, artists who did super well, and some who uh, became on fire for Christ. 
Um, You mentioned Bob Dylan and who released three different Christian albums. People aren't really sure where he's at today. Where is he at today? Do we know? Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone knows with certainty, but uh, sort of the conventional wisdom on Dylan is, is Dylan became a Christian, abandoned his faith and returned to Judaism. But as we research this, uh, I'm not sure that's completely true. You know, Dylan always had biblical references in his songs going back to the very beginning. Uh, He was raised in a Jewish home. He was an observant Jew. He knew quite a bit of Hebrew. He was uh, obviously a very talented singer, songwriter, and in many ways a spokesman for his generation. And then very unexpectedly, (laughs) he became a Christian and recorded three overt Christian albums. And he was serious about it. In fact, he was going to a Bible school, and I I know a young lady who uh, was in that school with him, and she attested to the fact that Dylan's faith was real, his hunger for Scripture was genuine. He had really had his life changed by Jesus, but there was a lot of opposition. He was savaged by the critics. Even fellow rock stars took their pot shots at him. And uh, then he just, after his third record, his gospel record, he stopped talking about it. So people thought that he walked away from it. Uh, But as I looked into his life, it seems to me that Dylan never denied what he said he believed. And in fact, in later projects, he seemed to affirm it. He released a Christmas album a number of years ago since that time, filled with overt Christmas songs, filled with lyrics about Christ. And he was asked by... Uh, an interviewer, you sing these songs as though you believe them. And Dylan says, I do. And so I think Bob is what I would call a work in progress. We should not be so quick to judge and condemn people. You know, God's yeah. working in his life. You know, and, and I think people sometimes have these notions. I've had people say, don't you know these rock stars sold their souls to the devil? Well, number one, you cannot sell your soul to the devil. You know, your soul belongs to God, the Bible says. God says, all souls are mine. Jesus died for every sinner. And I don't care what you've done. If you call out to Christ and repent of your sins, he will forgive you and enter into your life. And so I think it's this crazy concept that these people can't come to Christ. Of course they can. And and I've met many of them. You know, I know Alice Cooper. I know Richie Fure. I know Dion DiMucci, I know Lou Graham from Foreigner, Carrie Livgren from Kansas, so many of them that I've met and talked with that are genuine followers of Christ. You know, I think that we're seeing the, the same trend even with some current musicians um, yeah. who at least say at certain points that they're Christian. Kanye West, yes. um, Justin yeah. Bieber. How do we, Yes. you know, and as people who are watching them and maybe listening yeah. to them, uh, what would you say, how's the best way to, to pray for them? Yes, good question. I talk about them in my book as well. I, I yeah. talked about Kendrick Lamar, Justin Bieber, uh, Kanye West, and others that are in current music today. Uh, I think you need to pray for them because, you know, the temptations that come their way are enormous. Mm-hmm. The pressures that come their way are overwhelming. And they mess up. They blow it. They yeah. sin, just like you, just like me. Yeah. So we should not be so quick to judge them and instead pray for them. 
that they would develop a, a strong relationship with Christ and get rooted in a church and get rooted in the Word of God. It's just like any person, forget rock stars, just any person that comes to Christ, the devil will come and tempt them and try to pull them back into sin again. And so we need to all get rooted and grounded in our faith. And rock stars or actors or famous people in general are not an exception to that rule. They're just people like you and me. They're not better than us. They have a talent that most of us don't have, but they're just people when the day is done. And they need the Lord, so we need to pray for them that they would not only find the Lord, but would then walk with the Lord. Pastor Gay, what would you hope the reader takes away from this book, uh, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus? What is your main hope that the reader will take from this book? I would hope that they they would think of someone that they know. Maybe it's a husband, a son, a wife, a daughter, a friend, a co-worker, someone that they've come into contact with that seems so against the Lord, so far from the Lord, and realize God could reach them. God could change them and start by praying for them and then look for an opportunity to engage that person with the gospel. You know, you never know how a person will react. They may hide behind a facade. Mm -hmm. Before I was a Christian, I had kind of a tough persona on the outside, and I never had a Christian come and engage me with the gospel. I actually came upon a Bible study on my high school campus and heard the gospel. It's almost like I eavesdropped on their Bible study and heard the gospel, and that was the day I gave my life to Jesus. I remember when I would see people out on the streets handing out little tracts and booklets, you know, with the gospel in them. No one would ever give me one. (laughs) (laughs) They, They bought into my act, like, oh, I don't care about you. But I was in my heart longing for someone to talk to me, but I was too proud to admit it. So that person hiding behind that facade that looks like they have everything and and they would never hear what you have to say, realize they may be more open than you think. Pray for them and engage them and start with your testimony. You know, really, this is a book filled with testimonies of many who have come to Christ. And your story, how the Lord got a hold of you, is a great way to start an evangelistic conversation. Greg, I am excited about what this book is going to do for people. I encourage everybody to read it and, you know, be trust that God has put you in these people's life for a reason, on purpose. And like Greg just said, don't be afraid to reach out and engage. Right. Uh, we're talking to Pastor Greg Laurie about his brand new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Uh, Pastor Greg, before we go, how can listeners find out more about the book and where can they get a copy? All right. Well, you can order it from us at Harvest Ministries. Just go to harvest.org, and we'll send you one of these books for your gift of any size. You can also go to Amazon and order it, and it's not only available in hardcover, it's available in audio format where you can listen to it in Audible, and it's available in Kindle, so you can have it immediately. Or you can go to your local bookstore and ask for a copy. So any of those options will get you your own copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. All right. Pastor Greg, thank you for being with me today on Southern California Live. We really appreciate it and appreciate your ministry and looking forward to uh, the next Harvest Crusade, of course, and uh, everything else that God is going to do through your ministry. Yes. uh, Thanks for mentioning that, Scott. And let me tell your listeners that they'll be the first to hear that we are coming back to Angel Stadium in the month of November, very early November. 
more information to come, but we're returning for a two-night crusade. All right, very early November. All right, that's something to look forward to. Pastor Greg, thanks for joining us on Southern California Live today. Thanks, Scott. All right, my guest has been Pastor Greg Laurie. He's the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California, and he is the author of his new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. And you can get a copy of that at harvest.org or wherever books are sold. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. If you want to call and join our conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Maybe you want to respond to the interview we just had in the previous segment before the break with Greg Laurie about his new book. We talked a lot about uh, music. His book is Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, a uh, spiritual biography of rock and roll. And, you know, it's when we, we talk about music, it music, popular music especially, music has always been influential. And it impacts people's lives, right? And we've had music a long time, all the way back in the scriptures. You know, the 150 psalms are kept in the Bible. Those aren't all of the songs. Songs are able to speak to us in in deeper ways. It's poetry, you know, set to 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 words. And it really does impact our life uh, significantly, one way or the other. Very often, badly. Parents, you know, I tell parents, you've got to you've got to listen and go read the lyrics to the songs that your kids are listening to. You may not be able to stand to listen to the song, and it may be even more. You may not even be able to to parse out the lyrics in some of the music that we hear today. But you need to know what is being said and what the message is. Well, once in a while, there's a positive message, but, you know, over time, songs, uh, you know, popular music, it's, it's downgraded, right? I mean, it's, it's not even the right word. It's just so much uh, difficulty. We're talking about some of what we talked about, the era of Bob Dylan and... Um, those guys, you know, those songs, uh, a lot of them were complex. Some of them were silly, you know, like we have today, but a lot of those songs had a lot of depth. You really had to think about it. Uh, today there's a whole lot more in the marketing of it. A lot of the people who are in music, you know, we don't hear about them after a couple of years. They're it's sort of driven to, um, hit a certain nerve at a certain point in time and you maybe get one or two hits and then you're gone. And you may not even be that good of a musician, but you are marketed well. But there are some great, great musicians out there, but they are, they're very significant. And I, I think this is a reason for us to pray. Pray for the people who are influencing you and influencing your kids. Pray for, you ever think about this, to pray for these artists? You know, we idolize people because of their fame. We see people who are, you know, for whatever reason, it just seems like they've got something that is great. And we have to realize that they're struggling. They're struggling very, very deeply. And and we're seeing this a lot with kids today who get famous all of a sudden because they're on TikTok or something and suddenly they've got millions of views. And some people have just put out a video online and then instantly they're famous, but it also means instantly they're recognizable everywhere they go. Instantly they need bodyguards. Instantly they need chaperones. Instantly they have managers. They have business people. It's uh, it's it is a very complicated life, and it's not normal. It's not the the normal life. So, you know, I don't know if you do that, but pray for 
pray for the people who are influencing so many people, especially those who influence kids. Uh, Kanye West was just, is it Yee or Yay? How do you say his name? He, he changed it to just Y-E. I think it's Yee. Um, and, you know, he came out with a gospel album a couple of years ago. His story of, of faith and his journey, I'm not really sure where he is. And he's kind of gone in, in different directions with it. Um, and I downloaded uh, his uh, gospel album a couple of years ago and listened to it several times just to try to get a feel for, you know, where's he coming from? I thought there was a couple songs on there I thought were really good. And uh, it was and it was funny though because it uh, after I downloaded that uh, it uh, radically changed my my Spotify recommended music list and now it's just like completely crazy. I've got stuff from every genre of music possible that it says this is the songs recommended for you. Doesn't matter what it is, it's just all over. Um, but you need to pray for him. I happen to know I've been to some pastors' conferences where people stood up and they said, "Hey, I happen to be a personal friend with Kanye." Uh, or somebody else who was a personal friend with Justin Bieber and said, hey, here's some ways we need to pray for them, and here's why. These people are influencing our kids. And twice I've been at a conference with thousands of of pastors and church workers where we prayed for uh, those two guys, also some other uh, famous rockers, former singer of Corn, Brian Head Welch, who's got a pretty good testimony, a movie coming out. Uh, maybe it's already been out about his love for his daughter and the struggles that he's had as he came to Christ and quit the band and uh, lots of stuff, but there are struggles that people have that just because you're famous, it doesn't mean that you go without the struggle. Just because you have money doesn't mean that you are somehow above it or somehow better than anybody else. So we, we saw that with that trial that happened that just ended yesterday, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard one. These are people with a lot of money and fame and maybe what people want, um, but they're miserable. And and now their stuff is just very very public. We got we got to keep in mind that everybody is is um, somebody who needs Jesus. It's a great way to look at at people when you're looking at movies, when you're looking at or listening to music, or even when you're watching a sporting event and you look down on the field and you go, "Hey, a lot of those players on the field, some of them are believers." And they have a testimony to uphold when they go out on the road to the other players, to management, to everybody who's a part of that. Many of them give their testimony at events, you know, after the games and stuff. We need to pray for them. They're under tremendous pressure. Uh, and to you know, just because they have a lot, it doesn't mean that they don't have those pressures. And you don't, you don't get to take it with you. You don't get to buy your salvation. Johnny Carson once said that the only thing that money does for you is you don't worry about where your next meal is coming from. He said, that's it. He said, I don't, I don't worry about being hungry, uh, but other than that, it doesn't do anything. Um, and I thought that's a really interesting perspective. Lots of people have, have said that. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host, and it's good to be with you and to call our attention to these things. I, I've done a series before through uh, the Song of Solomon, which is a song in the Bible, and it's about love and sex and dating and, and relationships. And yes, it's an allegory of Jesus and the church. It is. However, that book is very much about a relationship between a man and a woman. And you watch them become attracted to each other. You watch them date. You watch them get to a place where they're really in courtship. Then they get married. They have this huge wedding ceremony in chapter three, I think it is. And then in chapter four, it's the honeymoon. And you're, you're right there in the room for the honeymoon. And it's poetic, but it's very explicit. And part of the idea here is that, you know, God is, has made 
what goes on in this relationship holy. And there's a certain way about it. It's okay to be attracted to somebody. It's okay to even have sexual desire. All of that is good, but there is a place for it. And when it gets outside of that, that's when life becomes messy. That's when our relationship growth gets stunted. That's when where we don't deepen any further. And then they get married, and then they argue for a couple of chapters, and then they have intimacy again, and they grow old together. It's a great book, great book. Well, part of that when I teach that is I read song lyrics because I like to point out that it's a song. And you can make a point that over time, our popular culture, you can see the decline in our popular culture through our art. And you, you see that in any era of human history, right? When you see the destruction they're uncovering at Pompeii and the pornographic stuff that they're digging up out of the volcanic ashes, which is why people suspect or they wonder, did God wipe out this town with this volcano? Because he just couldn't stand uh, their, their approach to humanity in this way. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know if that's how God does it or vol- volcanoes just blow up, but it raises that question because we know it isn't holy in a certain regard. Anyway, I read, you see, so you see it all throughout history. It isn't just modern American history or modern American music. And so I usually would start out with uh, a Frank Sinatra song or something from the era of the 40s and 50s. And uh, you just read the lyrics. If you read it like a poem, you discover that um, you can really understand the songs right? So I'm in the mood for love. You heard that song? Frank Sinatra sings it. Lots of people sing it. Um, The lyrics go like this. I'm in the mood for love simply because you're near me. Funny, because when you're near me, I'm in the mood for love. Heaven is in your eyes, bright as the stars were under. Oh, is it any wonder I'm in the mood for love? Why stop to think of whether this little dream might fade? We've put our hearts together. Now we are one. I'm not afraid. If there's a cloud above, it should rain, and it should rain. We'll let it. But for tonight, forget it. I'm in the mood for love. Now, you could play that on this station. You could play that just about anywhere. What's that song about? Well, it's about two people getting intimate. That's what it, that song is about. Uh, but the way we look at that, uh, you know, we see that as a pretty tame uh, song. So that's out, you know, 40s and 50s. And uh, so I read that one, and everyone kind of like giggles a little bit and uh, they enjoy that. Then I go to the 70s, and uh, the song I like to read, I'm not going to read all of it here because it gets a little bit, you know, uh, Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. You know that song? Uh, <laughs> she <laughs> And you just read it. Read it like a poem. It goes like this. Sitting here, eating my heart out, waiting, waiting for some lover to call. Dialed about a thousand t- numbers lately, almost rang the phone off the wall. Looking for some hot stuff, baby. This evening, I need some hot stuff, baby, tonight. I want some hot stuff, baby, this evening. Got to have some hot stuff. Got to have some love. That's the, that's the lyric to the song. And people laugh. And we laugh, but it's uncomfortable, right? Now, what's that song about? Well, it's kind of about the same thing, but it's not very intimate as the other one. And then, so people are laughing And by the time I'm reading this old song. Then I read something that's current. My friends, I cannot read you on this station stuff that's current. I can't. It's not allowed. FCC would say no. And it's just foul. One of the songs that won best song of the year, I think last year, is the foulest song I think I've ever heard. That's, you know, it tells you an awful lot about our culture. So I'll read. I can't even read. When I do that series, I can't even read those lyrics. I try to find something that's somewhat tame and I have to censor myself through it. And you know what happens is the audience that is laughing 
at the previous song is just silent and quiet. It is so profound how far we've gone to the destructive side of intimacy. And our pop culture shows it. And some people will say, no, it's the pop culture that's driving it. And I say, no, you wouldn't write that song. We wouldn't know that song if people weren't already ready to pay for it and buy it. And maybe it's circular. Maybe it feeds into you. But see, that's, that's where we are. So parents, read the lyrics to your songs. Just Google them. And maybe you got to talk to your kids. Hey, why are you singing the song? Why are you dancing around to this song? What does it mean? What is the impact of that song? Matters a lot. Pray for the people singing it. They're influencing their kids. They're influencing adults. You got to you know, guard yourself from those kinds of lyrics that are out there. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. When we get back, new poll out from Gallup on Americans' attitudes about abortion post the release of the leaked Supreme Court uh, decision. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Southern California Live. We are almost to summer. Some places schools are already out here in the Southland. Some go to the middle of June. Schedules are a little lopsided now, depending on where you go to school. I miss summer vacation. I always tell my kids, ah, oh, just enjoy every day of summer vacation. That's uh, that's what you want. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join the conversation. Uh, another poll came out today about uh, Americans' views on abortion. And uh, I'm bringing it up really because... We'll talk about it. It's not really that different, but it's the way it gets presented. And, you know, you can always spin things a certain way. And you can look at things and go, okay, well, that's, uh, you, we look at the headline and we think it says one thing, but then when you actually read it or read the story, it says something different, okay? Uh, so here's the poll, uh, and here's the headline, okay? Headline, poll, over half of Americans identify as pro-choice following Supreme Court abortion leak. And then it says, the study, this is from Axios.com. Axios is kind of a good site, gives you sort of uh, the thumbnail version of everything uh, going on. But they are, they do lean a certain way, uh, like most news sites do, a little bit to the left. And so here's how you, you read it, okay? And most of the other news sites who are reporting this today say the same thing. So the headline is, over half of Americans identify as pro-choice, and it's the highest recorded sentiment in support of abortion rights recorded by Gallup since 1995. So that's the first line. That's what you read. That's the the headline and uh, the tagline below it. And it's driving the news. It also says that the Gallup poll has found for the first time that a majority of Americans believe that abortion is morally acceptable. And here are the numbers. The amount of, quote, pro-choice, unquote, people. And it's important uh, that we we identify the term pro-choice Pro-choice is going to get you a different answer than if you were to say pro-abortion, okay? Same thing with pro-life. Pro-life is going to get you a different answer than if you'd said anti-abortion because pro-choice, you're getting into all kinds of other things. You're getting into women's health and you can and the euphemisms that are used to avoid talking about abortion specifically, you know, when pretty soon you're talking about mammograms all of a sudden and you're no longer talking about abortion. Uh, and on the pro-life side, pretty soon you're talking about the death penalty or you're talking about immigration or hunger or other things, and you're no longer talking about abortion. I prefer, if we're going to talk about this subject, 
to use the terms pro-abortion or anti-abortion and just we'll keep it with that. Not that the other views of humanity don't factor in philosophically, but when we when we aren't as precise with the terms we use, we're not really getting the down to the answer that we're trying to get, okay? So here's where this is going here. So the amount of pro-choice people increased from 49% in 2021 to 55% in 2022. The last time it reached a similar number was 1995 when it stood at 56%. So suddenly a 6% increase. Now, this poll was taken after the Supreme Court abortion case leak. We still don't know what the Supreme Court is actually going to decide. We will find out probably by the end of this month. Uh, If not the end of this month, first week of July, it's probably the latest. But most of the Supreme Court decisions will come out this month. All right, so here's what this, now I'm reading all the way through here, and then you're going to get to a line here eventually that changes the way you have to actually view this poll, okay? The amount of pro-choice people increased from 49% to 55% in one year. Uh, On the other hand, 39% identify as pro-life, which is the lowest since 1996, where it was 33%. Over half of Americans, 52%, consider abortion to be morally acceptable and 38% say it's morally wrong, a new record low. Uh, and Gallup found that 13% believe abortion should be illegal in all circumstances, another record low, where 35% think it should be legal under any circumstances, which is a new high. And it's interesting to me that in a year, those things have changed. And I think, it, I think maybe people are, are feeling the political pressure one way or the other, but probably more towards the abortion side because of the leak and the the protests and maybe the anger or whatever we're going to see here in a couple of weeks. Maybe we've already seen it. And then it says support for Roe versus Wade remains high, with 58% of Americans saying the landmark decision should not be overturned and 35% saying it should be reversed. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's the support for Roe versus Wade. Now, that's what you're going to hear a lot of questions. Okay, do you support Roe versus Wade? Do you think it should be overturned? Most people say no. Uh but here's the here's the kicker in this poll, and this changes it, okay? Most Americans do not support later abortion. 55% say they are against abortion in the second trimester, and 71% saying the procedure should not be legal in the third trimester. See, and that's the key statement. That's the actual statement that describes what this poll is actually saying. Yes, Majority of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in the first trimester. They're even saying that it is morally acceptable in the first trimester. That's what the poll is saying. But the poll is not saying that Americans support abortion on demand all the way up until ninth month. Not even close. Um, 71% saying the procedure should not be done legal in the third trimester. Some polls have that even higher. All right, so most Americans feel, and and all of the polls are showing this, most Americans feel like first trimester, if you just take the the national pulse of it, first trimester, uh, you can have abortion. Second and third trimesters, no abortions. Now, the interesting thing about that is that when they ask support for Roe versus Wade remains high, 58% of Americans saying the landmark decision should not be overturned. Then the next thing they say is that 55% second trimester, 71% third trimester think it should not be allowed or that there should be you know, significant restrictions. See, the the truth of it is, is that when the Supreme Court, supposing they do it, overturns Roe versus Wade, they're actually going to agree with most Americans because most states 
are going to have, many states anywhere are going to have restrictions. They're not eliminating abortion anywhere, the Supreme Court. At least that's what that decision that was released did. We don't know. They might go one way or the other when it really comes out. But the leaked report, it does not outlaw abortion. It allows states to make their own decision. And many states make the decision that first trimester, okay, uh, up to 15 weeks or up to 12 weeks, okay, after that, not okay. That actually reflects where most people stand. So the reason I'm saying this is we're going to, we'll probably talk about, well, not probably, we will. We will talk about this subject again in more detail whenever the Supremes give us the actual opinion pretty soon. But I want us as reasonable people in our audience to be able to read into stories. Whenever you hear polls say this or polls say this, you got to get back into it because when the poll says over half of Americans identify as pro-choice, well, they don't. If you ask the question, are you pro-choice when it comes to second and third trimester, the answer is not even close. They're not. It's just not really accurate. See what I'm saying? We need to be a people of truth, and we need to be able to realize that there is nuance, there are changes in the way that questions get asked, and we have to do this because if you want to make change in our culture, you can't just take the surfacey answer from a politician as truth or evidence of what they believe. You've got to ask the harder questions. Are you pro-choice or pro-life? Well, I'm pro-life. Well, do you believe in abortion in the first trimester? Sometimes people who say I'm pro-life will say yes. Or are you pro-choice? I'm pro-choice. Do you believe in abortion in the second, third trimester? Sometimes they'll say no. You know, there, there are different opinions here, and the way of the media to try to guide the narrative, what they're going to say is they're going to say, nope, all of Americans, they want abortions all the way up through the ninth month. Some people want it after that. And that's not true. That's not even what the polls say. Always read the story. Don't just read the headlines. And read the whole thing. Sometimes it's long. Sometimes I've read articles, particularly if it's in the New York Times or some newspapers like that, where you find out on page two or page three or 20 paragraphs in that the headline is actually not at all reflective of what the article says. And what that does for the paper is it says, no, we reported it correctly. Read the article. But people are too eager to just live on the headlines and just click the headlines that you see. All right, something important just to think about. Do your due diligence with that just to sort of dig down deeper in anything that gets out there. When we come back uh, in the next hour, sometime during our show, President Biden is going to be given a speech about guns and gun control. We're not going to be carrying that, and uh, but I will predict what he's going to say. And uh, tomorrow we'll probably go over what he actually says, but I think it's fairly predictable. And uh, I'm going to ask the question because what we're going to see is this idea of common sense gun control laws. What are those? What do you think common sense gun control is? If you have an opinion about that, you'll be able to call and talk about that when we get back, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. If you would like to get the podcast of this program, go to kkla.com or go to kprz.com if you're in San Diego. Look under the podcast. Look for Southern California Live in the program guide and then look under podcasts and you can get this program and uh, several other programs that we've done. And I want to encourage you to go to those websites, KKLA, if you're listening on 99.5 in the L.A. area, kkla.com, and go to kprz.com if you're listening in San Diego. Lots of ways to connect. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you will always stay in touch with everything we're doing on this station. It's great to be in touch this way. It's a great thing about Christian radio is that we get to come together together. We get to come together, and we have different traditions, different backgrounds. We uh, have 
different opinions on a whole lot of things, but we are coming together as Jesus's church to have an impact right here in the Southland and an impact with the people that we know. And that's why understanding how to read polls, understanding the, the, the truth of different things, it matters a lot because we, we need to care about the souls of all the people that we know. Jesus Christ is our hope. I'm Scott Furrow, Southern California Live. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 